and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson. And the one and only Bradley Eway. And today we have the pleasure of having dentists on our panel to discuss their experiences, their journey to their specialty, and taking a deeper look into residency. Let's get started. Introducing one of our dentists is Dr. Eva Bloodridge, receiving her dental degree from the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina. She received her training in prosthodontics in the University of Alabama at Birmingham and a fellowship in maxillofacial prosthodontics and the dental oncology department at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Dr. Bloodridge has also assisted I've also served my fault. I've also served as assistant clinical faculty in the AEGD GPR program at the UT Health School of Dentistry and received the elect and was elected as the Region 4 membership director of the American College of Prosthodontics Board of Directors. Dr. Bodrich has practiced in Houston, Texas for 15 years and has been a member of the ADA for 20 years. Welcome. Good to meet you. Yes. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And next we have Dr. Raishka Ramirez, who is originally from Miami, Florida. She is also a proud graduate of Meharry Medical College in 2018. And now she is currently a third-year prosthodontics resident at the Dental College of Georgia. Let's give it up for our guest. Woo! <laughs> oh man, that's great to see y'all. It's great, but the big question: When did you choose to pursue prosthodontics, and why? Who would like to go first? Uh, I'll go first. <laughs> um, actually, I chose when I was in my resident. Um, actually, when I was in dental school, around my third year, uh, I had a really good mentor. Um, and Dr. Uh, Donald Nelson, and um, I like to set denture teeth, and uh, I love doing it, and I loved removable most, uh, but fixed was always really exciting to me, and when I finished my program, they hadn't even introduced uh, implant dentistry, so I wanted to immerse myself in implant dentistry. So uh, I thought prosthodontics was the way to go and ended up going to Alabama because I knew they would just throw me in it. And that's what I wanted. Um, so for me, I actually decided around my third year as well, towards the end of my third year when the um, uh, cycle was starting um, for um, residency applications. And um, for those of you who are at Meharry right now, uh, you probably know Dr. Silberg. So he was um, one of my team leaders um, during clinical, um, my clinical years. So for third and fourth year at Meharry. And um, he is a general practitioner, but he always told me how um, he would, he thinks that I should do PROST because, um, you know, just the hand skills that he thought I had and um, how, um, 
particular I was about having the right impressions and, you know, having, making sure that my teeth are, um, look good and that my patients are happy with that. Um, so I'm very, very OCD when it comes to like tooth setups and, you know, my work, um, in the lab. And, and so he kind of noticed that. And I had a few cases that I had to refer out because, um, just, they were just too advanced for dental students. And, um, I always wondered, okay, I, w- I wonder what I could do to help these patients and to, to fulfill, you know, and, um, and help them achieve their main concerns that they had about their teeth. So um, he talked to me about it and I was like, okay, I started thinking about it and decided to shadow a few prosthodontists. I visited a few programs uh, my third year and from there I was hooked and I knew that, um, that's that that was the way to go for me um only because shadowing and um visiting different programs really um just sparked my interest even more and just seeing the things that just go beyond the training that we get in dental school that i didn't even think would be possible that's what really got me hooked on prost and um and then it led me to residency so now i'm here <laughs> Nice, nice. So even before diving deep into what it takes to become a prosthodontics, uh, what is a general overview of what prosthodontists do uh, and how does your specialty play a huge part in the world of cosmetic dentistry? I can go first. So I think... I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm biased in this. I mean, I am in, in a, a prost resident, but I do feel that prosthodontists are essentially the quarterbacks of dentistry, to be honest. Um, we are the ultimate restorative um, dentist, if you want to put it in that way. Um, we guide most of our, like every treatment plan that we have, we guide it. So whether it's a multidisciplinary case that we do with um, oral surgery, with perio, endo, any other specialty, we guide them into what we need them to do that um, for our patients. Um, because ultimately, there's, even in, in the world of implant dentistry now, if you think about it, um, a surgeon can place an implant anywhere. But if you cannot restore that implant, what was the purpose of placing that implant in the first place? So um, prosthodontics plays a key role in that, um, and it's especially when it comes to aesthetics and working in the anterior zone, um, it takes a lot of planning and, um, a lot of planning, uh, outside of the clinic, honestly, um, to get these cases set up correctly and, um, also having great communication with the other providers that are working on the same case in order to provide the, the best outcome for the patient. So in terms of that aspect, I do feel that, um, that is prosthodontics to me, you know, um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we are the specialty that, um, replaces missing teeth. Um, whether it is with removable, whether it is with implants, whether it is with um, just fixed, um, different fixed uh, options that we have for the patients. Um, That is what our specialty does. And that's what we're about. More recently, um, they've incorporated learning not only how to restore implants, but 
placing implants and understanding all of the surgical procedures that are um, that we normally see with the cases that um, we treat as prosthodontists. So we have to be proficient not only in treating restoratively, but also um, as the surgeon for the cases as well. So in that aspect, um, that's something, you know, those are things that we do. And I also believe that prosthodontics is, um, in terms of the world of cosmetics, we also do that because we really take the time to plan the cases ahead of, ahead of time and um, outside of the clinic so that the patients are fully satisfied um, once we deliver the final, the final restoration. So I think that that plays a huge role in cosmetics these days as well. So that's my, my answer. <laughs> Just to piggyback uh, so happy to hear quarterback because that's what I say in every one of my lectures back. And uh, uh, yes, uh, we can be very type A. Um, and as a practicing prosthodontist, I have to make sure that I'm communicating with every person on the team, where it's the surgeon and even the patient, and making sure we're on the same page. Another thing that a lot of people don't really realize is that prosthodontists, when we're residency, we're actually learning about the materials that we're using. We have to do in-depth study of all the dental materials. So it's not having the lab pick it. It's you knowing the functional stability of these materials and if they're able to, one, be aesthetic, and two, be able to handle the loads that you are putting the patient in. Uh, as a maxillofacial prosthodontist, you're not only just replacing tooth structure, you're probably replacing, and some of prosthodontists are replacing hard and soft tissue. So you're not just replacing the teeth, you're also replacing lost bone. So you have to be able to know about spatial orientation, space that you need for restorative materials. All those things have to be planned in advance. And even when you have the best laid plans, you've got to have a backup plan if something doesn't work. And I just listed a case on my Instagram today about an all-on X case where even the best laid plans took two years to finish up. And you've got to have backup plans for your plans. So yes, prosthodontists, we have to have knowledge on so many different levels and be able to coordinate it with everyone on the team. And that includes your dental laboratory. For sure. Um, I'm really glad you um, pointed that out because in our um, clinic, we do have an in-house lab and we do spend a lot of time picking out materials. So even when we're planning the case, it's a matter of what type of material are you planning on restoring that patient with? Because that, if the patient's a Bruxer, if the patient has, you know, certain habits that can affect those restorations in the end, you have to think of that ahead of time. And you have to know, even after the restorations, how is that patient going to maintain the restorations? You know, if they were able to wear through their natural teeth, which is the best thing they can have in their mouths, what are you going to do to help them maintain the new restorations that they're spending all of this money for? And even in cases where you do, like Dr. Bouldred said, you have great communication, you plan it well. Some patients don't heal well. Some patients, their body cannot handle the implants um, for some reason. So 
So I recently had a case also, it was an all on four type of case. And unfortunately the patient is gonna end up in a denture. We've tried everything we could and the patient wanted something fixed. And unfortunately we cannot go that route anymore because her body just did not respond well to the implants. So prosthodontics, we, we have to present multiple treatment plans to our patients and make sure that they understand that we always try to do the best and we try to achieve their um, chief concerns. However, we have backup plans that are available. We have the next best treatment. And if that fails, then we have to have the next best treatment available. And if that fails, you know, we have to have a backup plan from there, you know, so that's, that's what it's all about. And I'd like to add that when that last plan is just a denture, we are the one that know how to make the best dentures. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> Definitely. Having a backup and then a backup for that backup and then backup we have all of that. <laughs> right. Backups. <laughs> Uh, so then even um, discussing all of this now and what you're learning, Dr. Ramirez, what is residency like currently um, and uh, what's the process like to get there? Okay, so in terms of getting into residency, I would say the process is fairly straightforward. Um, of course, as a dental student, usually that's about around third year if you want to go straight after dental school. So um, I encourage um, any dental students, especially in your third year, um, second year, sometimes you're just so caught up in just trying to make it through. You're not really thinking too much about that. Um, and you know, at least once you've had your removable courses, fixed courses, and you've had a few of your core dental courses, then you can kind of have an idea of the field that you're interested in. In terms of prosthodontics, I, a little backup story, and um, it kind of goes into, it'll, I'll finish, finish my point. But when I was in dental school, I thought I was going to be a super GP. Okay. That was, that, that's what I was going to do. I was going to try to take all these CE courses and I was going to do everything because I just wanted to be that woman, you know, like the super GP. And I quickly realized that for one, there's so many CE courses that you can do for two, the amount of money that you would spend in a CE course and still not get the entire story, everything tied in together from start to finish, um, that would be an, a hindrance. And um, honestly, just thinking about that and from shadowing um, different residency programs. So when I'm my third year, when I decided, okay, I'll consider PROS, I went to three different residency programs and I shadowed a few prosthodontists. And um, seeing what they were doing there were things that I was not exposed to in dental school. So I knew that I needed someone to, or I needed a program that would train me from the beginning to the end so that if any random case comes or walks into my office, even if it's, I don't know where to start or I don't know where it's going to end. At least I have an idea of how to sit down, diagnose it, treatment plan it and plan something and let the patient know, you know, you're not a straightforward case. We might have 
to go start one route and then end up in another direction, but we can start and whatever we plan out is going to be beneficial for that patient. So I definitely wanted to have that training. And so in terms of getting into residency, I recommend every dental student to, if there's any field that you think you might be interested in, just take the time to shadow someone. Um, if, if you don't know anyone, reach out to the faculty, see if they can link you up with anyone. Um, and honestly, in terms of the programs that I um, went and visited, I went online, looked up the program directors, found their emails, and I emailed every single one of them. And I said, hey, I'm interested in PROS. I would love to come see your program, see what you guys are about. If I can shadow or do an internship with you guys or externship with you guys, um, please let me know if that opportunity is available. And every single one of them replied back to me. So I recommend, um, I, that's one thing I would recommend. And if, you'll, if you reach out to programs that you think you might be interested in, so do your research ahead of time, that is going to kind of give you a foot in the door because the program directors know you, you went there to visit, so you kind of got a chance to get to know the residents that are there, the assistants that are there. All of these people may potentially have a say in your matriculation to that program. So I think shadowing and just reaching out, getting your name out there is going to help you get in the door. So that's how, for me, um, that's how it worked out for me. I did not apply to a lot of schools. I only applied to four, and I, I interviewed at three out of the four. And so I ended up at one of them. Um, if, you know, if you're, some people, if they have the money to do it, or if they just want to apply to multiple programs, um, then definitely go ahead and do that. But I think letting them, giving them the opportunity to get to know you prior to the application process is definitely beneficial. Another thing I would say is prosthodontics is very competitive. Um, most of the programs I applied to only accepted one. And then the one that I'm in now accepted three. So um, it's, it's very, very competitive. Um, so that would help. I would recommend also having a backup plan. I did apply to one GPR program. So I did four PROS and one GPR. And if all failed, um, the GPR would have been my backup plan. And then I would have reapplied for PROS the following year. So I recommend doing that as well. In terms of how prosthodontics residency is going, it's tough. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it was back in the day, but I do have to say that um, I expected it to be tough because in, in residency, um, I had actually there was a Meharian who was ahead of me here. And so she kind of gave me the background on everything. She was like, you know, have fun before you come because when you come, it's the no life type of life. And so she kind of prepared me for that, but it's 10 times worse once you're actually in it <laughs> because it's one thing to be told, but then it's another thing to live it. And what makes it hard is that, like Dr. Bodred said, you know, she mentioned materials. Not only do we have to know the materials we're using, we also have to read all of the literature old and new, so current lit and classic lit on all of the procedures that we do and understanding why they had these concepts back in the day 
and what's new now and what we're doing now, what, what still applies and what doesn't apply um, and why it doesn't apply, all of that we have to know. So it's you're reading all the time. Every single day, there's something to read. There's a and we have to present on them. So, um, so that makes it very tough. Um, and on top of that, you have to be the provider, meaning you're in the clinics from eight to five. After that, you are in the lab, being the lab technician on the case that you're working on. And then after that, you have to go home and read the literature review that you have to present the next day. So oftentimes, you know, I, I just want to be honest about it because um, because it is what it, it's not for everyone. It is not for everyone. And that's why I do highly recommend you um, you shadow before you do it. Now, is it worth it for me? 100%. And it's crazy because um, when I think of the growth that I see in myself from leaving dental school, to where I'm at now and the knowledge that I've accumulated <laughs> in um, the past two and a half years that I've been here, it's unmatched, to be honest, at least for me. I definitely would not have been able to get that if I did see courses. Um, so I think it's worth it. It's definitely a sacrifice and it's 10 times harder than dental school um, because of that, okay? And it's challenging every day. If I don't think I've had a straightforward regular denture case as of yet, okay? So that was back in dental school. So even the dentures that I'm doing here, you would think, okay, it's just a, a complete denture. You know, the pay, like, you know, it might be a complete denture. It might be an obturator. It might be, you, you don't know. The patient might not have any ridge at all for you to work with, but you have to find something to make it work for that patient. Um, it's definitely, um, it keeps things interesting because you don't know what's going to come and fall on your lap. You don't know what type of case you're going to get on this day, but the, it, it's definitely rewarding when you see how your patients walk in and then to see at the end of the treatment, how they end up. To me, that's the satisfying part. And I'm like, okay, I didn't sleep last night, but I'm happy because at least this case turned out this way. Um, so Dr. Brodrich could probably talk more about this, but I'm hoping that there's a little light at the end of the tunnel outside of residency because I'm like, this cannot be my life forever <laughs> because I would like to have a life outside of Frost. <laughs> but that's how that is, honestly, at least our experience here um, at the Dental College of Georgia. It's, that's, that's, that's how it has been for me. But the good thing is, you know, I'm not only being trained um, to be a good clinician, a good restorative um, provider, but also a good surgeon, um, which is what I wanted. I definitely wanted to be um, proficient in implant placements and um, surgeries. And so we have um, all of the specialties here at the school. So um, I work very closely with Perio. I go to all of my surgeries, whether... Um, it doesn't matter the department that it is. If I'm able to be there, I am there. And that's a learning experience for me, even though I'm not the one directly doing that surgery. So um, it's definitely a unique experience. And um, I enjoy that aspect. Well, I'd like to say that nothing's changed. <laughs> Don't tell me that. 
Um, is I knew what I enjoyed and I didn't enjoy surgery, but to this day, I go to 93% of my patient surgeries. Uh, so I am actively involved in their cases and I am right there. And so I'm not doing the surgery. I actually have with digital dentistry and digital dentures coming in, I want to spend my time and money growing there. And I know enough so that I can be proficient and communicate with my surgeons to give them exactly what they need so I get what I need in the end. Uh, the literature, I'm glad to hear nothing's changed. Uh, laboratory, I'm still a lab rat. Um, but it gives me peace. I'm a mother of two teenagers. And so sometimes you need some time away. And believe it or not, working in a lab can give you peace. <laughs> Uh, other prosthodontists I know have labs in their office and have lab techs. Some don't do any uh, lab work and refer it all out. It really just depends on what you want to do and what kind of communication you have with your lab. I have my labs on speed dial. I call my lab guy all the time. I have different labs for different things. And uh, one of the things I think is a beauty with prosthodontics is because we learn so much, we can pick and choose where we want to spend more of our energy. And uh, a lot of the newer prosthodontists love doing surgery. And you know what? I'll power to you. Um, I just never did. But I loved spending more time creating the prosthesis. Um, that's where in private practice, you have to figure out where you're going to spend your money. Are you going to spend it on all the surgical supplies or are you going to do more that's going to have, I like a 3D printer, an intraoral scanner and a lab scanner. So, you know, things cost money and you have to kind of think about what you want to spend your time on and where you want to keep challenging yourself. And each person is different. Uh, the other thing I wanted to put is with all the programs and program directors being online and the residents being on social media, you can really follow them. You can actually get to know what the programs are like, reach out to a lot of these residents and get an idea because each program is definitely different. I, I think I interviewed at three programs um, for um, PROS. And then two programs for maxillofacial. And I did the same thing that Dr. Ramirez said. I reached out to the program directors beforehand, let them know I was interested. But with social media being the way it is, you can really reach out to people there and the program directors. And you can, you can secretly stalk them and see what you know, they're doing. They're putting the information out there. You can get a better idea of what these programs are like a lot easier than when when I was back in school. <laughs> Use those tools. I definitely think you should. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned private practice, right? Dr. Morales, you're still in residency. So that little shiny light at the tunnel, what would you believe would be the best route? Should you try to go for a DSO, private practice, or look for an associateship? That is a great question. Um, and you kind of um, nailed it because I'm in that process right now of deciding 
which route I want to go. And the way that I'm looking at it is um, at this point, I'm trying to look at the overall picture. And um, in terms of you have to think of location, you have to think of where you want to be. So um, you are going to be limited in terms of those aspects of things, okay? If you're one of those people, you're open to go anywhere, then okay, that kind of broadens things a little bit more. Um, but for me, I'm actually keeping all of those options open. Um, in terms of there are pros and cons to all of those things. What I found so far with, um, so you mentioned DSO private practice. Well, private practice and associateship is kind of the same thing almost. Um, but in terms of, depending on how you look at it, because you could do an associateship with a pri private practitioner, um, but you could also do that with a DSO too. So I don't know in terms of which route you're going with that in terms of the difference, if you want to clarify before I answer. Um, honestly, I think for private practice will be um, you owning your own practice, you're spending. Okay, um, so, yeah. okay. Because you could work with someone at a private practice, not having your own private practice. So that's why I wanted you to clarify in terms of what you were, which way you wanted to look at it. So, okay. Um, for me, I did not want to do a private practice right out the bat because I did dental school. I did three years of residency. I kind of just wanted to bring in income first, okay? And I also, so I wanted to make money for a few years. And I told myself, two to three years. And I also wanted to learn under someone else outside of residency as well. So if I can work with someone or work with a company where I can grow, continue to grow as a clinician with that person or with that company, um, that would be ideal. Um, over the, the two to three years, I can work out my practice plan and I can also, um, have income, you know, that's the biggest thing for me at this point, you know, seven years of being of just not working. And, um, you know, at this point, that's kind of my rationale for things. Me personally, um, I know people who bought out, um, you know, we've had residents um, since my first year, but after residency, they bought a practice. And that's what they're doing. They opened up their own practice, or they bought out a practice. And they're happy doing that. For me, I knew that I did not want to do that. So my goal is two to three years. And in that two to three years, if I'm really happy and it's just an amazing opportunity that I just cannot give up, then I will be comfortable staying there. If I do feel that at that point, I, I do want to continue to go forward with having my own private practice, then I would go that route and decide at that point. Um, in terms of do I want to do an associateship at a private practice or if I want to go um, corporate, um, that I'm also keeping open because it depends on the opportunity. It depends on, okay, well, the private practice, where is it at? Who am I working with? How many patients do you have coming into this practice? Do you have enough patients for me, for you, and whoever else is there? That's something to think about. Um, and then how much am I going to get paid? That's another thing to think about, too. You have to understand that, you know, three years is a sacrifice that you're making to better yourself, to, to um, enhance your knowledge in this field. And so you have to understand 
your worth also and how much you want to get paid in terms of that. So are they willing to, to meet you there? Um, and in some pay cases, the opportunity is such a good opportunity that you're willing to get a pay cut in order to grow with that practice. Okay. So that's something to think. Of, and there's a lot of different aspects, aspects to think about. Um, what I've found so far in terms of just my communications and my interactions with a few of the corporations that are out there is that um, they have a system. It works. They know exactly what they want you to do. You know what you're going to be doing every day. Um, for some people, that's that's good because it's predictable and they're happy doing that. You know, you have, um, you know, they have their base, base pay. They have their bonuses that, you know, they set and their goals that they set for each of their um, clinics. And that's something to think about also. So honestly, I don't think, I cannot say that one is better than the other because I know people who have had good experiences with private practice, good experiences with associateships, and good experiences with um, corporate. But some people, they've also have bad experiences with either one. I think each experience is very unique. And I think that you have to weigh out your options and go with whichever option would be best for you in that, in that situation. So um, that's how, honestly, I'm looking at it. And I, don't, I cannot say that one is better than the other. Where I'm at right now. So Dr. Bojic could probably expand a little bit more on that. Um, but that's how I'm looking at it. And that's what I found so far, to be honest. And so yeah, it makes I, the decision a little bit harder because of that. <laughs> I can say I worked in a corporate dentistry for about six months and I made way more than I did in my private practice. Um, and uh, so, but the, 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 the con to that were I had pretty grueling hours and um, I was very, very stressed, way more stressed than I was before. Um, and you have to really, uh, like Dr. Ramirez said, you have to weigh your pros and cons and based on the life that you were living at that time. Uh, and uh, there was actually in the ACP meeting this past, uh, last week, we had um, someone speaking about uh, DSOs and how because of everything that most dental students and residents are leaving with so much debt, some of these corporate and DSO options can help them just to get above water. Because when you're trying to start your own practice, that that's a chunk of change that you've got to put up front. And if you're already, you know, four years of dental school in debt plus three years of residency, that's a lot. So um, there, I think DSOs, uh, you have to really talk to uh, people who are in that, um, sorry, some people who are already in there. Uh, there's enough forums on Facebook and everything else. You can find someone that works somewhere to get an idea of what it's like. And just because something fits you right now doesn't mean when you have a family, you're going to still want to do that. So you, you definitely have to keep your mind open. Uh, when you're younger and you don't have much holding you down, you can go hardcore and you can learn and you can spend those extra hours. You can take a cut. 
Um, and then in time, you can build for what you want. Because even when you finish your residency, you still have a resident mindset. And I'll tell you, it took me about five years to get out of that resident mindset, where you're thinking as a resident and you're not thinking as a business person. And that's a whole nother transition that you have to deal, whether you're in private practice or an associate or in a DSO. The DSO will teach you real quick. <laughs> yeah, the DSO will teach you real quick and so will corporate, you know. So uh, all those options need to be looked at. I think some were vilified a little too much, some with good reason. But I think with the changing landscape, with everything with COVID, a lot of offices are closing. Um, people, things are changing in our world, in the health sector and dentistry. And uh, you have to be able to be flexible. Uh, no longer is the idea of just opening a practice right after you leave dental school and you stay there forever. I mean, that's the goal that a lot of people wanted, but... I don't know if that's the same. You can probably have that as your end goal, but not everybody can do that right now. So keep your options open and be honest with yourself of what you need, what you want, what your goals are financially. Because, you know, I finished my residency eight and a half months pregnant. So I gave birth right after I got my certificate. So I, I had to do something completely different. Um, everyone has different situations. And Dr. Boldridge, you um, actually uh, helped lead us into our next question too, you know, trying to decide what our financial goals are. You know, even when you said it took you a while to transition from the resident mindset to the business type of mindset, um, what piece of financial advice would you have given to your younger self um, that, you know, the things that you know now? If I had corporate options back then, I probably would have done it first out to pay off my dental school debt. But when I came out, corporate was and DSOs had a lot more of a unfortunately shady reputation. And when I did meet with the different clinics, um, being a prosthodontist, you don't like being told what materials you're going to use, or you can only use this laboratory. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> things have changed now, uh, since I left in, uh, 2003, oh gosh, 2003, things have changed and there are more options available. So if I were to go back if I had the options that I think like Dr. Ramirez and some other doctors have now, I probably would have done that just to get that debt out the way. Um, but you know, I had, I had different circumstances. Um, I was married with my first kid as soon as I finished maxillofacial cross. And I, you know, I took some time off actually. I took a year off before I started uh, working in an office. So Every, if, if, that's your question. That's your answer. I would have done corporate probably just to pay off the stuff. This year has been crazy for all of us. A lot of people have lost loved ones. Um, and also we are going through a pandemic. Um, what I want to ask is how has COVID-19 affected you? I'll go quick. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it really, honestly, uh, COVID uh, has affected me in the fact that uh, I'm, I'm more slightly uncomfortable in the clinical chair because all of the PPE and being a, a woman of a certain age, oh, that's just painful. Uh, but uh, it's it hasn't really changed that much in the operatory. I will say that it's kind of limited what I can do because I take it upon myself as a healthcare provider to really limit where I go and what I do. Um, so I have my parents that live with me. I have young kids. My parents are high risk. So I can't really do as much as I did before. Now, I did go to my first in-person CE, but I wore my mask the whole time. Uh, I have noticed that most prosthodontists are saying we're having an uptick in patients. Patients can't well, how can I say this? The biggest competition financially to a prosthodontist is a patient's lifestyle splurges. So with COVID shutting down, patients are like, oh, I can't go anywhere. Maybe I should fix my teeth. Or they're cracking a lot of their teeth and everyone has to wear a mask. So this is the perfect time to get all your work done. So I've actually seen an uptick in patients because stuff that they had been putting off because they wanted their outdoor kitchen or they wanted that trip. They're not doing the trip no more. So the trip is in their mouth. For me, um, I actually agree with Dr. Boldridge. Um, so initially when we had, um, we did shut down, um, for about three months and, um, once we opened, Oh my, <laughs> I feel like we had more patients. We had, so many emergency cases that we were seeing. Um, I mean, the, the most uncomfortable thing, honestly, again, is the PPE, you know, especially in the beginning, just the level of just cleaning and sanitizing all of the layers that we have to put on um, before we can even actually go in the operatory and see the patient. That was very uncomfortable. But in terms of the flow of patient, it did not slow down. Patients were eager to get out of the house and come sit in your chair, whether it was to get their stuff back or to get dental work done. <laughs> so um, we have not really struggled much. Um, I have not had like a deficit in um, the number of patients or the cases that I, I'm getting, to be honest. So, you know, especially now, um, we had phases in terms of reopening. So we were doing low aerosol generating procedures initially. Then, you know, as we got, because, you know, the PPEs were back ordered for a while. So as we got more PPE and more coverage and modified certain things in our clinic, you know, then we moved on to the second phase of treatments where we were doing some lower aerosol, not high, but, you know, maybe a little bit medium, more medium aerosol generating procedures. And then now we're pretty much full-blown open um, with the guidelines that we, we have, the PPE that we have available, and um, they've installed um, certain ventilation, um, extra ventilation in our clinics. We are an open bay concept, but luckily for us, we have an aesthetics section and a regular section. So instead of just using one for just aesthetics, now every resident, instead of being in operatories next to each other, we're somewhat spread out because we have the room for it. So we're seeing as many patients as we possibly can, honestly, in a day. So 
it initially, I would say, obviously, everybody was affected because we were shut down for a while at some point. But once we opened back up, people were lined up and ready to to come to come back for for dental treatment. So that was a plus. Yeah, I'd like to add, we were in Texas, so we opened up as soon as possible. <laughs> so we did we had lockdown for maybe a month and a half, two months tops. And uh, they were uh, the state of Texas was actually distributing PPE. Uh, every Friday to the dental offices. So you could sign up and it could be sent in. Um, I, I, I'd like to really stress that, you know, um, in the, uh, there was a recent article out, I think in the Jada, that talked about less than 1% of dentists are reporting being COVID positive. And I think that just goes to testify that we have always had a higher level of infection control in our operatories because of mask and gown. Um, we actually, even though we're working in a hot stone, we had already pretty much because of the HIV epidemic, we had already in, put in a lot in place so that fortunately a lot of dentists weren't, our offices weren't gonna become the hot spot that I think a lot of people feared. A lot of dentists um, put um, hydroxyl generators, air purifiers, the sprays. We're all doing what we need to do to keep ourselves and our patients healthy. And most of my patients are a geriatric, you know, no, well, not all geriatric. I don't want my patients coming after me. But I have a higher risk age group and patients. And I think a lot of them do just come so they can get out the house. Um, but I think as dentistry as a whole, we've been very prepared. And uh, we've been a lot more fortunate than our constituents in the hospital, like the uh, the hospital doctors and nurses. They've They've had a really really tough time of it. And uh, I think part of the responsibility is just making sure that uh, even in our office that we encourage our team to be mindful of what they're doing even outside of the office because uh, we, we're trying to be a safe place for our patients. Absolutely. Um, I completely agree. And even with you both saying that, you know, there was an unsuspected increase in uh, patients that, you know, wanted to uh, receive a prosthesis, um, showing that there's definitely a a high demand for your specialty. Um, What advice would you give to those that are aspiring to be prosthodontists like yourselves? Um, I would say do as much as you can in dental school. Um, if it's setting all of your denture teeth, do that. I know at Meharry, we had to, um, if you can set your classmates teeth, because some of my classmates definitely came to me and asked me to set their teeth for them because they didn't want to do it. Um, I would say really knowing the basics but really not just, okay, I, I get, I kind of get it. No, really know the basics before you leave. Everything else, as long as you have a strong foundation, I think you can always build on that. But if the foundation is rocky, um, when you graduate, you're going to have a very tough time because you have to solidify that before you add on, right? So it's just like building a house. So the biggest thing I would say is, you have the tools and resources in dental school to at least know the basics very well. 
So just know that as best as you can. And just as long as you're enthusiastic and you have the energy for it, um, then go for it. You know, you'll, you'll have a good time. It's, I mean, honestly, I have pros because our programs are typically small. It's like a small, it's a little family that you have. So when I'm in the lab late, I'm typically not in the lab by myself. You know, I have co-residents that are in there with me. So we just have lab parties and stuff um, every so often. So just understanding the basics. And even if you didn't want to do PROS, I encourage everyone in dental school to really learn and absorb what you're getting. Because sometimes some people, for some people, it's very easy to skate through, just to get through, just knowing the basics, just to make it, knowing the basics to pass, knowing the basics to graduate. But you will find that even if your goal was just to be a general practitioner and to just go to work and not really care about doing any form of residency for that matter, um, you will struggle a lot and you will get yourself in trouble if you're not at least the stuff that they teach you, if you don't at least know that, know that stuff very well. So that's, that's honestly the only thing. Make the best of it. Have a good time, but really absorb everything they're teaching you. Okay, so uh, just to piggyback off of that, um, I really do agree that don't try to just make it. Um, really understand how and why you're doing it. And one of the biggest things I hear from laboratories is what the complaint is, is what the doctors are sending to the laboratory. Um, if you send the laboratory crap, you're going to get crap back. Um, as just basically, um, if your look, if your impression doesn't look the best, uh, then you know what, spend an extra few minutes trying to get it right. If your prep is not the most beautiful, you know, refine it, make sure, because when you become a resident, guess what? You're going to have to probably build to whatever you were, you took the impression of. So whenever you take an impression, you got to say, can I restore off of that because you're going to do most of the work. Um, making sure that what you send is, is so vital just to your, the rest of your career. Also knowing your materials and not relying on the lab because sometimes the labs just want to get more cash out of you. Um, and they'll tell you what they want or, you know, but you've got to be able to ask questions and research the materials because just as I left, Things have changed tenfold, and you've got to stay up on that. If you're not learning it in your dental school, you're going to pay three and four times more for a CE course over the weekend, and you're not going to get as much as if you just paid attention in class. So um, really pay attention. Detail is really big about prosthodontists. And uh, the other thing is, is that, uh, if you're a big problem solver, that's really big for prosthodontists because a lot of what we do is problem solving. Half the thing is you've got to figure out why the patient ended up this way in the first place. You've got to be able to diagnose how they got there. If you don't diagnose it and you just restore it, they'll go right back to it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ramirez, Dr. Boldridge, for being on the show. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Um, do you both have some closing remarks or uh, an Instagram page where our followers can find you? Okay, so um, I have two. 
Um, my regular one for my practice is Houston Pross, P-R-O-S-T-H. And then my one that I dedicate just to dentures is Denture Diva, and it's Denture and then D-E-V-A. And I usually give tips. Uh, I didn't want to put it all on my regular Instagram because my patients follow me and people follow me. And I don't want them to think I only do dentures, but I like to give tips about dentures because I love dentures. Um, so those are my two. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, all of that. Um, so my Instagram is Dr. Underscore Reich, R-A-I-S-H. And um, I don't really post a lot of stuff on my like actual page, but I do post a lot on my stories. So I'll post um, the lab procedures that I'm doing, the cases that I'm working on. Um, and I keep that on my actual Instagram. So um you know check it out <laughs> awesome awesome well we definitely appreciate you both being on the show um let's go ahead and uh let's wrap things up and transition into taylor's takeaways and today i'd like to discuss emotional habits that we may have picked up during quarantine um, these habits were inspired from Self Magazine's article titled Five Habits I Picked Up During Quarantine. So the first one is FaceTiming friends and family more. Um, though in-person contact may be limited, person-to-person interaction doesn't have to be. Using FaceTime or for those with Androids, you know, Google Duo, <laughs> um, uh, you know, that can help fill the void of human contact that we currently lack during this pandemic. Um, The second one is taking an actual lunch break. Uh, Before COVID, you know, during break times or lunch, I would send, you know, some last minute emails or finish up some notes and things like that in between class. But now I'm actually taking a step away from my phone, my laptop, all of that, just so I can actually breathe. Though everything is virtual, interacting with technology can still be overwhelming sometimes. Uh, And the last one is answering honestly when people ask how I'm doing. Um, Before we grew so so accustomed uh, to saying, oh, we're fine, you know, everything's cool, you know, but personally, I think now my friends and family are being more open with how they truly feel, you know, saying things like, well, I'm not doing so well because I have to manage my children being home, you know, while working from home. Or even I feel a little bit depressed today because I just found out a family member was diagnosed with COVID. So um, being positive during this pandemic is definitely a challenge. So venting to friends and family about how you truly feel is one step towards emotional healing. Um, So let's Continue to lift each other up, you know, check on your loved ones and persevere together through these troubling times by doing our duty and wearing a mask. Man, that was so beautiful. But for the best hands in dentistry, right, you have to give it up to the prosthodontics if you want the cleanest mouth. <laughs> yes. <seat>. Hands <laughs> down. Oh, what's the what's the um what's it called the saying that they say in uh, Miami? Period. Right. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> period. Period. <laughs> right. So, hey, come on down. Get yourself a prosthodontist to get yourself nice and flossy, and 
keep flossing. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Pod for more updates on the show and be sure to give us a shout out. Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The The Occlusal Table. Table!